Welcome to Public Health Cares, a podcast produced by Public Health, Dayton, and Montgomery County, and dedicated to keeping all of Montgomery County, Ohio, a healthy, safe, and thriving community. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Public Health Cares. I'm your host, Dan Suffoletto, Public Information Manager, and today we will hear from Larry Cleek, Emergency Preparedness Manager, and Matthew Tyler, Director of the Office of Environmental Health. Thanks for being with us today. Later this year, Dayton and surrounding areas will experience an extremely rare event, a total solar eclipse that will cross North America on April 8, 2024. The total eclipse in Dayton will begin at 3.08 p.m. and last 2 minutes and 42 seconds. Other parts of the state could last up to 4 minutes. This is the first total solar eclipse in Ohio since 1806, and the next total solar eclipse in Ohio will not be until 2099. As you can see, eclipses are a unique opportunity and they are a great setup for observation and science activities. That being said, there's a lot of in the Dayton area uh, surrounding the eclipse and we have two perfect people to talk to us here today about it. The first person we want to bring in here is Larry Klee. And he's the uh, manager of our emergency preparedness program here at Public Health. And you may think, well, why does Public Health have an emergency preparedness program? So, Larry, can you tell everybody a little bit about what what are the activities of the emergency preparedness program? Okay, thanks, Dan, um, for inviting us for this. So I, I hope this is beneficial to everybody who might be listening today. So, first of all, the emergency preparedness program is all about planning, training, and exercising and responding to public health emergencies as well as planned events, something similar to like the eclipse we're going to be dealing with. So these incidents that we plan for, these could be terrorist or man-made or naturally occurring incidents. Um, things that we prepare for from a terrorist-related uh, incident perspective is the release of biological agents, something like anthrax for smallpox where public health would play a major role in providing antibiotics or vaccines to the general public in these times of emergency. We would also deal with radiological incidents. This could be a nuclear detonation in another part of the country where individuals who are concerned that they might have been exposed would come to something like a community reception center, where we would monitor individuals and ensure they have not been exposed lessening the effect on what the hospitals would have to deal with. As far as naturally occurring events, we deal with severe weathers, something comparable to what we did with the 2019 tornadoes that hit Montgomery County. We were directly involved in setting up family assistance centers where individuals could come that had been affected by the tornado. Um, it brought multiple organizations together, Red Cross, ourselves, and other entities to deal with concerns and issues that have affected individuals in our community. We've just recently dealt with the COVID-19, and similar, we dealt with H1N1. So we play a big part in regards to pandemics. With pandemics, we open up points of dispensing or mass dispensing stations to provide vaccine to the general public. And then, like I brought up moments ago, you've got naturally occurring events such as eclipses, and we'll get into that in more detail. But again, emergency preparedness is all about planning, training, 
and exercising in preparation for public health emergencies. Right. And it's being there and being ready for when anything happens. Obviously, we hope nothing happens, but as we've seen in the past, things do happen. Uh, you mentioned COVID. That's a perfect example of the scope of things that our emergency preparedness program can do. Uh, we were talking about mass scale vaccinations of thousands and thousands of people, having that done as quickly and orderly as possible. So all the planning and preparation is done ahead of time. So when when public health went out to set up, for example, to do COVID vaccinations at the convention center, that wasn't something that just wasn't made up on the top of our heads. That's something that Larry and his team uh, planned for, trained for, have the contracts in place for, and have everything ready to go so if something should happen, uh, everything's in place. So uh, we have people on call who are ready at all times should something occur. Uh, the other aspect of uh, today's conversation is the Eclipse, and also our environmental health department is involved in that. Uh, they are uh, also involved in emergencies as well. But uh, in this case, there's uh, even before the Eclipse starts, there's some routine activities that the uh, Office of Environmental Health does, and we're going to get into those in a minute. But Matt, you, can you tell us a little bit about just what is the purpose of the Office of Environmental Health? Uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, Environmental Health has about 20 different programs that we manage, uh, including food protection, public swimming pools, air pollution, water and sewage, campgrounds, rabies and nuisance, among others. Um, most of these revolve routine inspections of the licensed facilities to make sure they're following all the applicable uh, state and local rules. Um, and then we also handle complaints from the public for those for all the programs that we manage. And uh, for the Eclipse, there's some of the things that you do that may come into play here. And we want to let people know who are planning events. Maybe they don't normally plan an event, but they're for the Eclipse, they're going to host some sort of a big event. And we want to let them know about how they need to interact with uh, your office ahead of time. Uh, one of those things is if you're going to be serving food, particularly selling food, uh, and then this case, it'll probably be a mobile food truck operation. Tell us about the licensing, inspecting, what people need to do with the mobile food truck. Yeah, so public health requires a license to sell any type of food. Um, our main concern is that someone tries to uh, set up a vet or sell food uh, during the eclipse with, without a license. And uh, the license is there just to make sure that we can come out and make sure that everything is done safely. Um, if a food truck is is properly licensed, they can go out and sell food anywhere in the state. Um, if you do not have a mobile license and you want to sell food, um, then you will require a temporary food license. And uh, just to get that, just call us up, visit our website, and uh, we can get you set up with one of those. And uh, that's something they do for uh, restaurants and for uh, regular food trucks. We do have a program and a schedule to inspect food trucks that are typically operating. But uh, in this instance, we're looking for people who may not normally do this, right? That they're, yep. they're new to the process, and um, we want to make sure they're aware of that as well. Uh, then the other aspect of it is camping. People may not, not know that public health inspects campgrounds to make sure that uh, everything is okay there. Can you tell us a little bit about 
campground inspections and what you're looking for there? Yeah, so we have uh, I think seven licensed campgrounds in the in the county. Um, those are you know permanent all year round campgrounds. Um, if we do have the ability to uh, license a temporary campground, um, so if you, if you want one of those, just let's like give us a call and we will walk you through that process to get you properly licensed. Um, again, our concern is that someone tries to operate um, a campground on their property, uh, bringing in campers, um, RV units, um, and it, if you don't do it properly, then it, it just could get uh, unsanitary and unsafe. Um, so what we look for for one of those temporary campgrounds, um, it's kind of the same as um, a, a regular campground, but a little bit different. Um, proper location and spacing of the camping units, uh, just for sanitary reasons, and uh, make sure they're in close proximity to uh, any potential restrooms. Um, we um, the the restrooms uh, component might not be required for the temporary campground, but again, just call us up and we'll talk about it. Um, again, other things we're looking for: proper disposal of any sewage or gray water uh, that might be coming onto the property. Um, potable water sources, uh, site identification for emergency services. So if you have a, you're opening up a large property to many um, camping uh, spaces, we'd want to make sure that if a 911 call came during this event, that um, emergency service would be able to come onto that property and find out where you are based on uh, your description. Um, we're also going to be looking for um, certain safety equipment, first aid kits, fire extinguishers, space throughout the property, and then just making sure that there are general safety policies regarding fire, safety, pets, traffic, uh, noise, and crowding. So there, there's other things we look for, but those are the, those are the main things. All right. That's some great information, and um, hopefully everything will uh, go well at all of our campgrounds and any temporary campgrounds that may uh, occur. Uh, Larry, let's go ahead and bring you back in here now and we want to talk about some general concerns uh, about this event. Uh, one is just a personal preparedness situation in terms of uh, I'm going to be here in Dayton, for example, and I want to look at the eclipse. What 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 are some things people can do if they think they're going to be looking at that eclipse? Okay, so looking directly into the sun anytime is unsafe. It's not specifically tied in directly with an eclipse. Based on there is going to be a solar eclipse, we know a lot of people are going to be looking at the sun or want to look at the sun. Exposing your eyes um, to the sun without proper eye protection during a solar eclipse can cause retinal burns. The retina has no sensitivity to pain, and since the effects of retinal damage may not appear for hours, there is no warning that someone has actually been injured or their eyes are injured that this has occurred. If you're going to do it, you need to do it the right way. So, what can you do to view the eclipse safely? Use special purpose solar filters such as eclipse glasses or handheld solar viewers. The glasses must meet ISO 1232-2 international standards for such products as these. Be aware that there are counterfeit um Reports out there of people selling counterfeit uh, products. Use main contact areas uh, such as check the American Astronomical 
uh, society list for reputable vendors or glasses. Do not use glasses that are years old because they could have been, they could deteriorate over a period of time. If you have not received or gotten your glasses, you probably want to do that as soon as possible because the closer we get to this, it's more than likely these are going to be sold out. And as we go through these tips, we want to remind everybody about our website, which is phdmc.org. We have a special total solar eclipse section there that's going to have all this information we're talking about here today, contact information. We have links to the Ohio Department of Health, uh, the Ohio Department of Safety uh, website where they have more information. We have some links to some other places, and then we have some handouts for some uh, certain populations we're going to talk about here that that may be of concern. So, so that kind of covers individually if you're just at home or at work or wherever, and you're just going to look at the eclipse. Now we talk about the emergency planning part of it and some of the things that. Uh, uh, many agencies here in Montgomery County are planning for. We've been to, I don't even know how many. I've been to probably three or four. Maybe Larry's been to more planning events that involve uh, all the local police departments, fire departments, emergency uh, planning agencies to prepare for things that could possibly happen. And and one, the big thing that sticks out immediately and has an effect on a lot of this is crowds. Uh, Larry, can you kind of put into perspective the potential for crowding here, crowding traffic, crowding here in uh, Dayton and the Ohio area. Okay, so what, what was how it was brought up earlier? This is a very rare occurrence. It's only happened fifteen times in the last hundred and fifteen years. And like Dan had brought up in in eighteen oh six was the last time Ohio saw it. So it's been two hundred and eighteen years since Ohio has had a total solar eclipse. We can use information from an eclipse that just happened in 2017 in the U.S. Uh, major concerns with that is that there were major traffic issues. So if at all possible, try to avoid or limit your travel that day of. With the eclipse in 2017, it's, it's estimated that there were over 5 million viewers that showed up for this event. So again, causing major traffic jams after the event was over. And then Larry, that was in the West Coast, right? Where uh So it started on the West Coast in the Oregon area, came across the US and left through the Carolinas. Right. We're talking about a large a large part of that area were less pop there's less population there, particularly out west. So now we're talking about an area can you generally describe the path of the where it's going? So this this Specific uh, eclipse will come up through Texas. It will hit Texas around 2.27, nearly 2.30 uh, p.m. in the afternoon. That will be the first point that it, it hits the U.S. It will come up across the Midwest into Ohio and lead through Maine. Um, we expect other issues from a response perspective based on the amount of traffic and concerns we'll, we expect that day. You're going to have issues with response organizations, so EMS, fire, law enforcement, being able to get to locations if there is an emergency. You're expecting such a large crowd that cell phones and Wi-Fi will either be slowed down or could go down over a period of time. There could be issues placing 911 calls, 
ability, ability to use mapping apps, ability to use your credit card and Apple Pay could be affected because the internet could be down. And, and go I was going to say, one, to kind of wrap my head around that whole thing, I just think of some of the stadium events I've been to here in the Ohio area. It's it's not, I mean, it's common that when you're at a at an event with over 10,000 people that there's spotty cell phone service. So depending on your carrier and um, the situation, you know, you may have connectivity issues. And we see that here uh, periodically in different areas. And now stadiums, yes, they're building in Wi-Fi infrastructure, but you're not going to have the Wi-Fi infrastructure everywhere if there's a large amount of people. And I think that's what we're talking about there in terms of communication. And I want you to understand, though, too. So in 2017, Wyoming doubled their state population based on this event. So their population is roughly around 600,000, and they had 1.5 million people within the state on the day of the event. Tennessee was planning for around 500,000 visitors, and they got around 300,000. So it varied from state to state. So we can basically plan and do some guesstimations. But until that day of the event, I think it's going to be a surprise for some people. The other thing is we've got a 50-50 shot of cloud cover or sun the day of the event. So with that, you could have people moving that day when they find out Dayton's got sunny weather compared to, say, Sydney or somewhere else up north having cloud cover. So even with all the planning, you could have people moving within a couple of hours of the event. So it's a concern where there is just going to be the possibility for traffic to be backed up 12 to 13 hours after this event. So when we talk about preparedness and, and, and traffic, it's kind of similar to other prepared messages we have in terms of your personal preparedness kit, things you should have available, things you might do. Can you Can you run through some of the tips that we might have. Yes, I can. So um, like I said, the key point is try to limit travel on the day of the event, if, if at all possible. If you're going to have to travel, probably not a bad idea to have water, snacks, medications, and other basic supplies that you would want to have in your car should you have long de delays on the roads. Begin your day with a fully charged cell phone. Have some extra power devices in case there is an issue. I would definitely fill up with on gas either a day or two days before the actual event because there will probably be so many travelers that we could possibly have gas shortages run for a few days after the event just based on demand. Maintain a small amount of cash on your person, and this is because ATMs could be exhausted where people hit so many ATMs they can't fill them up quick enough, or you could have credit card issues based on internet issues. Expect employees that uh, that work for you to have long delays driving to and from work, especially the day of the event. Check with your kids' schools on their plans. Are they off that day? Are they doing an, a, a hybrid model where they're getting off early? Again, be aware of it. And again, the important thing is, if you're going to be viewing the Eclipse, use Eclipse-approved glasses that meet ISO standards. Again, this is a once-in-a-lifetime event, and there will be a lot of people coming in to see this. 
So again, take these general precautions to ensure you're ready for the eclipse on the day it, that it's actually happening. So obviously we want people to have fun. We want them to enjoy it, but we want them to be safe and prepare just in case. Uh, anything else either of you'd like to add here before we wrap this up? Yeah, I'd like to mention just for uh, to add on to the temporary campgrounds um, that if if someone's thinking about doing that and they have a septic system on their property, just to be mindful of that and not to put up any structures on that portion of the um, site and not to definitely not drive over it because you could ruin the septic system and that would require uh, some costly repairs. Okay, so I think we've given everybody yeah, something one thing to I'll uh, on there. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yep. Dan brought up the, the comparison with the release of a college basketball or football game. Perfect example I've heard for for this, they compare this to 100 college football games being released at one time. I'm going to remind you again, when this happened in 2017, Google Maps went red everywhere that there had been uh, the total eclipse had affected or come across within the U.S. So this is probably going to be one of the most major parking lots that you will see for a period of time. So I would plan accordingly. This will affect the interstate. This will affect back roads. This will affect anywhere where people are trying to get out of there as quickly as possible. 2017 showed that everybody arrived leading up to the event, but the minute it was over, everybody tried to leave at one time. So be prepared, be ready. It's probably the key message we can put out there. Right, and that I, I just think of a uh, going to an Ohio State game there at Ohio Stadium, and you know you have what do you have about a hundred thousand people plus the workers so forth, and just if you ever been to that event or a similar size event, just think of all the personnel that they use for traffic management and, and what they do just just to handle that one small little area. Well, you're not going to have that for this. There's, there's going to be just traffic in various places, but they're not going to be able to predict it like that or direct it like that. So that that's where Larry's tips are really going to be helpful in terms of trying to avoid that, number one, but uh, being prepared uh, for delays, uh, number two. So with that being said, I want to thank both of you for joining us here today. It's been uh, very informative. We want to remind everybody, again, our website has all of these tips and more at uh, phdmc.org. There's a special Total Eclipse page there. It's running now. We're going to be adding things as we go, as we get closer to the event. So be sure to check in. Also, uh, and we know you're listening to the podcast now. Be sure to follow our podcast. We've got a lot of great information there. Also, make sure you follow us on social media. We'll be providing updates not only about the eclipse, but should any other emergencies or events happen, we'll be updating there. Also, just regular health information, a lot of great resources we provide you with there. So be sure to follow us at Public Health uh, DMC. With that being said, this has been uh, Public Health Cares. I've been your host, Dan Suffoletto, Public Information Manager for Public Health Dayton and Montgomery County. We will again want to thank our guest, Larry Cleek, Emergency Preparedness Coordinator, and Matthew Tyler, Director of the Office of Environmental Health for joining us today. Until next time, stay healthy, Montgomery County. You have been listening to Public Health Cares, a podcast produced by Public Health Dayton and Montgomery County. 
We invite you to subscribe so you do not miss any upcoming episodes.